sqpn.com presents The Secrets of Angels and Demons. Thousands are gathered in St. Peter's Square. The new Pope has yet to be selected. We are under attack from an old enemy. Find Professor London. Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Secrets of Angels and Demons. I am Father Roderick and I'm here back on St. Peter's Square. We're still following the trail of Professor Robert Langdon in the story of Angels and Demons. And we've gone from the Pantheon to the Piazza del Popolo. And from there we found an indication that we had to go back to St. Peter's Square. And as you can hear, the big fountains that were being uh, cleaned up earlier are now working again and uh, the cool fresh water is sparkling in the sunlight under these blue skies on this beautiful square. The situation was a lot less idyllic in the story of Angels and Demons because when Robert Langdon and his crew enter St. Peter's Square in search for this second Bernini sign, this second indication of the so-called path of light. Um, the, uh, the situation is very tumultuous. The, the square is packed with people. And um, wherever you, uh, you look, um, there, is, there seems to be unrest. Um, it is still uh, the beginning of the, um, of the conclave. The cardinals have gathered in the uh, Cappella Sistina, in the Sistine Chapel, on the right side of St. Peter's Basilica. And somehow Langdon uh, feels that, uh, that this might very well be the place of the second murder of these four cardinals that have been abducted. And so he's looking for a statue or some sign, something made by Bernini, um, that, uh, that might confirm his suspicion that, uh, that this is part of the path of light, St. Peter's Basilica, St. Peter's Square. Well, of course, the most obvious sign of the presence of Bernini is the square itself, because it has been designed by Bernini. Um, however, uh, he's looking for a statue and can't find it, of course, because the only thing that you see here in the middle of the square is this huge obelisk. Uh, this is one of the obelisks of Rome uh, without any Egyptian uh, symbols and signs. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, he, he looks up at the, at the ground and uh, he sees these, um, uh, these engravings in the pavement itself. Um, and I'm looking at one right here. They are oval marble uh, engravings of um, a head that is blowing wind. And this one says, Est Nord Est Greco Levante. So it's a head and it's, uh, it's symbolizing the wind. Now this one says, Est Levante. This one, I'm uh, walking clockwise. Est Sud Est Levante Sirocco. And here's another one in the pavement. Sud Est Sirocco, etc., etc. And, uh, and Langdon is like, oh, wait a second, of course, I don't have to look for 
a statue, it could also be an engraving, and this must be the sign that uh, Bernini left here. And yes, you see, it, it symbolizes one of these uh, uh, one of these elements, the four elements, uh, the, the the foundations of science, the foundations of the cosmos, um, the. Uh, the church on Piazza del Popolo was the uh, Cappella della Terra, uh, so the, uh, the chapel of the earth, and this must be the place of the wind, the second element. Well, there are a few problems with that, uh, with that uh, reasoning. Uh, first of all, uh, something that has to do with the, uh, uh, the, the, the basilica on Piazza di, del Popolo, where we were, the uh, Church of Santa Maria del Popolo, um, that church was never known as the Cappella della Terra. There's no indication whatsoever that uh, people called the, that, that chapel ever the, the, the chapel of the earth. So <laughs> there goes the foundation of that, uh, of that basic element of creation. Um, there might be um, a reason for uh, Dan Brown's uh, you know, inven invention of, of give, giving the, the or choosing that name for the chapel in the Pantheon, the first uh, location that we examined, there is actually a uh, Cappella della Terra Santa, which means, of course, a chapel of uh, the Holy Land. And perhaps that is why he somehow, because it was the second church after the Pantheon that he visited, that he kind of came up with that Cappella della Terra. And so he he thinks that this is actually this this uh, uh, engraving in the pavement uh, is made by Bernini. It's a clear sign. You just have to follow the uh, direction of these of the wind that is coming from the mouth of of this head, and that will lead you to the third location that you need to examine in order to find this path of light and also to find eventually the location of the bomb of the antimatter that is kept somewhere. Um, at the end of this path of light and that is uh, uh, going to be the destruction of the of, of St. Peter's Basilica and of the conclave and, and, and most of Rome and so um, <laughs> there is another problem with this even though Langdon is uh, wowed by his genius that he has found uh, the solution to the riddle of Bernini's presence here on the square thinking that this oval is actually made by Bernini in fact, he was wrong. Um, even though Bernini designed uh, St. Peter's Square and also made an intric intricate design for the pavement itself, that design was never carried out. And so the design that we currently know on St. Peter's Square is actually um, made by a, a papal astronomer. Buongiorno. Sui è privato, sì, sì, sì. That was uh, one of the guards of... Uh, St. Peter's Square, they always get very nervous with, uh, uh, you know, with recording equipment. They don't care about uh, cameras, photo cameras, uh, video cameras. But as soon as you hold um, a digital recorder, that's where they, oh my gosh, that must be uh, a journalist. And so he walked up to me and was like, um, what is this? And so he, and then he saw that I was a priest and then he immediately was, oh, I assume this is for private use. And well, yeah. Kind of. <laughs> I'm not a journalist. <laughs> and so um, what I was saying was that this, this, um, this round uh, or this, uh, this oval engraving is actually made in 1818 by papal astronomer Filippo Luigi uh, Gili. 
and he wanted to use the obelisk as a sundial and that is why he designed these ovals and you know uh, design, designed the whole the whole pavement surrounding this obelisk so <laughs> even though langdon takes this very seriously and also uh, concludes that now his next destination is going to be the santa maria della vittoria um, it is actually based on the incorrect assumption that bernini made the pavement here of saint peter square a little bit of research might have prevented that from happening but then again it's fiction isn't it and so uh, as i said um i would like to talk a little bit about uh, about the conclave at this point in the story the conclave has uh, begun um the cardinals have gathered in the cappella sistina we see the camarlengo patrick who closes off the the chapel now this, of course, is, uh, is, is based on, on a factual situation. The, uh, the cardinals have to convene no, no earlier than 15 days and no later than 20 days after the death of a pope in conclave. That doesn't mean that they are not allowed to congregate earlier. In fact, as soon as a pope dies, you will see cardinals arrive and they start having these meetings. Um, these are more informal meetings. They, they just talk and they... Um, you know, it's, it's like networking, and it's very important in the whole process of the election of a pope that, you know, these people come from all over the world, they all have their own stories, their own vision of, uh, you know, the, 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 the papacy uh, so far, and where it should go, and where the church should go, and so these, these informal talks are very important, and then at one point they start the conclave, and the conclave indeed takes place in the Cappella Sistina. Uh, however, in the movie, they kind of make it seem as if these cardinals are just locked up in the chapel and you wonder, how do they go to the toilet? How do they sleep? How do they eat? Because, of course, uh, um, the, uh, the conclave can, uh, can take forever. If they don't come to a decision, then they, they might be stuck there for, for several weeks. So, actually, uh, even though they congregate in the, in the chapel, in this beautiful chapel uh, with all the, the paintings on the ceilings and on the walls by Michelangelo, um, the, 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 uh, there are, there's actually more to the story and uh, there are actually quarters that have been reserved for the cardinals where they can eat, where they can sleep. And uh, in, in sometimes in the past, the cardinals really had to sleep on like bunk beds and they were made as uncomfortable as possible, not to punish them or by some form of, of spiritual mortification, but more to create an atmosphere of pressure where they had to come to a decision. Of course, you know, cardinals are humans as well. And so there was a tendency at, at some points in history to just go on and on and on with deliberations and voting sessions. And, and it would take forever for, for them to elect a new pope. And so to put more pressure on them, they would make the living situations quite harsh. And that uh, the hope was that the cardinals would, uh, would uh, come to a, an earlier conclusion uh, so that they could all go home and get a shower and sleep. So, um, however, th the proceedings of the conclave, even though Dan Brown in his book and a little bit in a movie uh, suggests that um, uh, the conclave takes place according to long forgotten old ancient archaic rules, half of them unknown to the general public, um, that is not at all the case. There are some very clear, clearly defined rules um, there is uh, uh, all these rules can be found on, on the internet uh, about how 
um, the conclave should take place, how the voting sessions are held. We know so much about uh, the whole procedure. Uh, it's not at all this mysterious a secret, uh, yes, it's secret in, in a way that there are no, you know, nobody's present there, there are no journalists, but that would, of course, interfere with uh, the decision-making process, which is not just a political process. Um, and, and again, that is something that a lot of these conspiracy theorists always put forward, this is all political and it's all about power. But, um, you know, I, I talked to, to my own cardinal, um, and, and he said it's also a very spiritual uh, event. We pray together, we celebrate the office of the liturgy, we celebrate Mass together, and we ask the Holy Spirit to guide us. And it's really, an at the atmosphere of prayer is, is very important. And of course, there are also political agendas, and people are you know, thinking also in terms of uh, um, you know, where, should we, where should we go, who, who could be our next you know, leader to, to bring us where we should be as a church. But at the same time, it's a human affair, and at the same time, it's a very spiritual uh, affair grounded in, in prayer and, and spirituality, which is something that you don't see in, in books like Dan Brown's. And so that is also why you don't want to have, you know, heaps and heaps of cameras and journalists asking them all sorts of questions. And um, for, a, for a spiritual climate where you want to listen to the Holy Spirit and want to follow God's indications, and have yourself, you know, be guided by God, because uh, that is, of course, what we hope, that, that God, through His Spirit, guides the church uh, throughout these centuries, that um, you need a certain climate of silence and of peace, and, and, and you don't want to be disturbed. It's almost like a retreat. If you go and have a retreat in a monastery, you're not going to invite your whole family and your whole circle of friends. You want to be alone there. You want to just lock yourself up for a week and and just take the time to, to really listen in prayer. And that's, what, that's why the, the, these cardinals retreat in the uh, Capella Sistina. So um, we know uh, all these rules. Uh, the, the whole uh, set of rules has been revised many times in the past. John Paul II has made quite extensive revisions of the, uh, of the rules of the conclave. And even Pope Benedict has changed a few rules. Um, I remember that the last rule that he changed was that um, there now has to be a two-third majority for a candidate to be elected Pope, and uh, which wasn't the case in, in the past. So two-thirds of the Cardinal's presence, presence should be in agreement about the new, the new candidate. Um, now, what about this, this group of four um, electorati, or what's, what's the name that Dan Brown gives them? Like the, the, as if there was this, this select group of four cardinals that were the, almost like the, the final round of Americans' next idol. I mean, as if there is some kind of mysterious process through which they find th these four cardinals and the next pope is definitely going to be among those four popes. Well, history has shown time and again that that sort of reasoning just doesn't work. Look at John Paul II. No one saw him coming. It was this Polish guy. Nobody knew him. And yet, he all of a sudden became the new pope. And so, this whole story about these four very important cardinals and everybody's panicking, oh, if they are not there, we're never going to find the next pope. Uh, no, it, does, it doesn't really work like that. Of course, there's lots of speculation about, uh, you know, the papabile, which cardinals have the theological foundation, the strength, the, the organizational qualities, the spiritual leadership to, to actually 
you know, be a good candidate to, to become the next pope, but that really doesn't say anything. And uh, even during the last conclave, I was, I was uh, recording here in, in, in St. Peter's Square and asking people, you know, who do you think will be the next pope? And I've heard all the names. <laughs> There's, by the way, an interesting scene in the, in the movie where they show journalists reporting from St. Peter's Square, so CNN and, and Spanish television, and they're all they're like promoting their own candidates. There's like, well, there's a big chance that the next cardinal will be a Spanish cardinal. And, and then the, 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 the person from the Philippines says, well, the, the Filipino cardinal might be, you know, is definitely among the, the, the final round of, of, of good candidates. And, and that, that is kind of what you see. Everybody has like their preferred candidates, but you can never know for sure. Um, another uh, small error in um, the depiction of the, of the conclave by Dan Brown, at least in the book, is that he says that there are, I think, like 160 plus cardinals that are convening. Um, but there is actually a maximum of cardinals that can take part in the conclave. And not every cardinal can, um, can be part of the conclave. Actually, if you reach a certain age, um, you're no longer uh, allowed to, uh, to as, a, as a voting member. And so in, in general, you will have like at maximum like 120 cardinals present. So he's kind of uh, the, the numbers are a little bit too high, but that's like a minor detail. Now, for those of you that don't know what a cardinal is, actually, let me explain that very briefly. Um, of course, we've got the Pope. The Pope is a bishop. He is the successor of St. Peter. And he is the, um, like the shepherds of all the other shepherds. So he, he was, St. Peter was an apostle, just like the other apostles, but Jesus tells him, uh, I will call you Peter from now on. And uh, Petrus in, in Latin, it means rock. And on this rock, I will build a church. And you will see in the New Testament that St. Peter always has the role of leadership over the other, other apostles. The papacy is not um, an ordination. You, you don't, it's not like a, how do you say that? Like, a, um, like someone is ordained a priest, is ordained a deacon, is ordained a bishop. But a pope is not ordained. He is just chosen by his fellow bishops, in this case, the cardinals. Now, what are cardinals? Originally, the cardinals were the other priests here in Rome that helped the Bishop of Rome to manage uh, the parishes. And so it was this, this group of local, local priests that worked together with the Bishop of Rome, and those were ca called cardinals. And then slowly and steadily that evolved as the, the, the church grew, um, and, uh, and every country had a number of cardinals all appointed by the Pope, and, uh, and these were all bishops. In, in the past, um, a cardinal could eventually also not be a bishop or not even be a priest, but of course had to be ordained a priest and ordained a bishop to be validly chosen as a pope, because the pope is always a bishop. Um, and so they, they could, the conclave could um, elect someone out of, outside the, the, the office of the, um, the group of cardinals to become pope. However, uh, those regulations have changed and now the future pope is always among the cardinals present. And so these cardinals nowadays come from all over the world and um, a country can have several cardinals or none at all. It just depends on uh, the decision of the Pope. And every once in a while, of course, these, these cardinals, you're a cardinal for life. They become too old and they cannot vote anymore or cannot be candidates. And so there have to be new creations of cardinals. That's how you call it. You, a cardinal is created by the Pope. And then they come to Rome and then they get their, 
red uh, hat and uh, the pallium and everything. But um, so that's that's what a cardinal is, and so these cardinals choose one in their midst. Uh, there was there's another error, and this is a pretty big one in the story of angels and demons when it comes to the uh, conclave, and that is the position of this, um, like the, uh, how do you say that, the, uh, there's a name for that, I'm trying to find my notes here, where did I write that down, there's this one cardinal that seems to be the, like the, the head of all the other cardinals, and according to the story, he himself is not eligible, um, let's see, oh yeah, the, the great elector, and um, and so according to the story, he, he can't be a pope. And at one point they ask him, well, why don't you just step down from your position as great elector so we can choose you to be the next pope? Um, well, there is no official great elector. Uh, there sometimes have been cardinals that have been more influential than others in kind of putting forward certain candidates. Um, but that is certainly not an official function. And, and even those cardinals were also eligible themselves. So um, that, that is again um, fiction and not fact. Um, also the book talks about a devil's advocate being present, present. Well that also is a little bit of confusion by Dan Brown. In previous times during the canonization process of uh, so someone who is like chosen to become a saint or to you know to be proclaimed a saint in that process of, of selecting you know is this person really a saint there would be a devil's advocate who would kind of bring to the table also all sorts of arguments or try to find arguments to say well no this person cannot be a saint and that was all to kind of stimulate the debate and to to make sure that you know nobody gets overboard in choosing too quickly well this person yes definitely was a saint and we all agree let's do it um, this this advocate of the devil would just be a kind of a, a, a an opposite voice for the sake of the of the of the the whole process of, of really discerning is this person uh, to be a saint in the Catholic Church however the devil's advocate was never a, a function within the conclave and even in the process of canonization, the devil's advocate uh, role or function does no longer exist as far as I know. And so the, um, uh, the person, the figure of the um, Camerlengo, even though it exists, um, he is usually not a simple priest. Um, actually, uh, the Camerlengo is usually a cardinal he also participates as a cardinal in the conclave and can be elected. Whereas the book says, well, no, the Camerlengo, it's a simple priest, he cannot take part uh, in, in, the, in the conclave, he can never be Pope. And that is why they kind of suggest um, that, uh, well, let's just uh, make him Pope by adoration. There is this ancient rule of adoration that if we all admire someone and if we all agree that, yes, this, this is an amazing person and he should be the Pope, if we all agree, then, you know, we just go for it and we make him the Pope. Well, that rule is completely made up. It has never existed. <laughs> and so uh, that was just uh, another invention by Dan Brown for the sake of the story so that this Patrick figure could... Um, could be chosen to be the next pope and in the movie he never gets there i think in the book he does get elected pope and i'm not sure because i haven't read the book yet anyway 
fortunately they all discover that uh, the Camerlengo was actually a traitor and, uh, <laughs> and that he, his motives were not as pure as it uh, might have seen. Hundreds of thousands are gathered in St. Peter's Square for conclave. It is on this night in Vatican City that an ancient ritual is taking place. The new pope is yet to be selected as we see the black smoke coming from the chimney of the Sistine Chapel. The entire world is watching and waiting. One last thing about the conclave. I, you know, I've been here waiting on St. Peter's Square for days, waiting for the, the white smoke to appear from the, uh, the little chimney on top of the Sistine Chapel. By the way, that smoke um, is coming from the burning, and the, the, the movie depicted that quite, quite well. Um, they burn the voting ballot. So every time there's a vote, a voting round, and there is no conclusion, um, they just take the, the, the votes which are written down on paper and they are burned in the chimney and that generates the smoke. Now in, in, in previous elections there used to be quite a bit of confusion about the color of the smoke um, and I don't know exactly what process they used to kind of make it white or black but they never really succeeded in, uh, <laughs> in making it really white or really black and so it was always a little bit in between and so you get all this confusion and panic and so nowadays in the recent election they used certain chemicals to give it a very distinct black color or a very distinct white color so that there's no confusion possible. Although I clearly, clearly remember staring at that chimney and then every time there was a little bit of smoke, at least for the first five minutes we were all debating whether it was black or whether it was, was white and we still couldn't tell. Because it's kind of far away, it's a very small chimney so you can't really see it and it's against a backdrop of a bright blue sky so that also makes it hard to see the uh, the, the real color and so um, the, the and, and the atmosphere here on St. Peter's Square during the conclave was extremely positive and people were joyous and uh, there was just a vibrant atmosphere of joy of hope of renewal you know we, we, we'd had this this incredibly sad sad time of, of the morning about the death of John Paul II who had been so popular and so incredibly influential not only on the history of the church but on the history of, uh, of, of Western Europe and the world in general um, and so the conclave itself was a moment of where that that moody depressed atmosphere turned into joy and expectation and and so I was very surprised to see in the movie uh, that there were riots and protesters about stem cells and None of that uh, was was part of the uh, of, of of last uh, conclave, or uh, you know. So the behavior that they showed in the movie, as if you know, the St. Peter's Square was just full of all sorts of fanatics and protesters with all sorts of political agendas. There was really, in reality, there was no trace of that. But of course, they had to create this little row, this little uproar, so that the evil dude of the the, the assassin could um, could kill his next victim, the second cardinal, um, and I think that took place, well, not far from where I'm standing right now, which is this big entrance port on the right side, um, beginning of the colonnade, um, where the two Swiss guards uh, uh, are keeping the entrance, and I think the cardinal was, was killed there on the steps, and then they discover that he's also branded with this Illuminati sign, etc. Um, when I saw that, I was... <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure if that would work in reality, of course, because, uh, you know, there's such a huge crowd. There's so much security 
during during such a such an event, uh, uh, so many security cameras. Also, there's no way that you could bring in a, a, a cardinal that is already half dead because you've been keeping him in a you know in a prison cell for for for, for days and days without water and, and food. Uh, there's no way that you could that you could get him anywhere near the Vatican without you know being being seen and without uh, uh, being questioned and uh, so I don't know I, I thought it was pretty unlikely that something like that could happen even though the story seems to suggest that it's because of all this uproar and and the confusion on St. Peter's Square that they were able to smuggle this uh, this poor old man uh, close to the Vatican and and then just kill him on the on the steps of uh, the bronze port but I think in reality that would have been almost impossible so um, that is a little bit about uh, the um, the conclave and uh, since we're here uh, and we still have to visit the two other places uh, the Bernini signs we still have to go to um, uh, let's see where, where where's our next stop it's the Church of Santa Maria della Vittoria, where uh, we will see the uh, statue of the ecstasy of St. Teresa, which supposedly would symbolize the symbol of fire. Um, but before we go there, because that's uh, quite far from here, that's on the other side of the city. And, you know, I'm not faking this. I'm, I'm just recording this in sequence, in case you're wondering. No, I'm not, you know, recording everything in the same convenient location and then pasting it in the right um, uh, chronological, chronological order afterwards. I'm, I'm actually walking from church to church as I'm doing these recordings. So, but since we're here, um, why not uh, try to uh, take a sneak peek, a quick look inside St. Peter's Basilica? Uh, because, of course, Bernini uh, designed the St. Peter's Square and the whole, you know, the, the, this world famous look of, of the new basilica because this was the second basilica that was built here uh, very different much bigger than the than the than the early one um, but Bernini also designed uh, two other very important things inside St. Peter's Basilica which is the big um, tent um, above the main altar and also the chair of St. Peter uh, and above it this this famous window of the Holy Spirit uh, this this Dove, this is bird uh, that uh, that seems to fly out of the sun. So I'd like to take you inside St. Peter's Basilica, but uh, we will do that in the next episode of the Secrets of Angels and Demons, because time is running out for this episode. I hope you liked it. If so, um, please consider leaving a review on iTunes. That really helps. Um, people to to find this uh, this podcast um, you can also rate it there I hope you will rate it positively and um, you can go over to the website of the StarQuest production network at www.sqpn.com for more information previous episodes of this show and other shows that I produce thank you for listening I'm Father Roderick straight from the Vatican saying goodbye take care see you next time and God bless SQPN, leading the way in Catholic new media.